morning from Sugar City Studio in beautiful, historic Savannah, Georgia on Johnson Square. North point of view, Dr. Walter Kimsey's. Good morning. Good morning, Mark. How you doing? I'm doing great. How about you? I'm fantastic. Okay, so last week you were quoted in a um, Wall Street Journal article. And of course, we, we quote the journal often here. Mm-hmm. It's um, certainly my go-to every morning and a topic that's near and dear to our hearts, you know, real estate, mm-hmm. uh, industrial real estate, and the fact that in the U.S., the inventory in seaport towns, industrial warehouse space is literally zero. It's mm-hmm. zero in the Savannah market. Another quote on lease rates, the Inland Empire up 25 to 30% this year, industrial real estate. Big issue. The article, if you guys want to take a look at it, was written by Paul Berger. Walter, give us the, the full context of that article. What Paul had noticed, and he'd seen this in several real estate companies' research, including JLL, of course, our colleagues there, right. that the vacancy rate had basically pretty close to zero. You know, when you argue that it's 1% or 2%, it doesn't matter. What that means is there just isn't enough space. And I would argue just knowing what's, in, at least in this market, what's actually being built as spec product that's being negotiated, I'm going to say there's a negative vacancy rate. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like last year when the oil... Uh, <laughs> I see, I may have, the, the, may have 2020. Yeah. Minus $35. The oil went negative. <laughs> and so, I mean, that's the way it feels in this market. And I know it's the same in, in a lot of markets, especially the seaport markets across the country. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that is absolutely the case. And and what's really driving this is the retail sector, you know, because something is, is moving for The vacancy rates have been dropping for a number of years. In fact, the reason I had left engineering firm and gone to a real estate firm five years ago is I could see this coming. Right. And I warned port clients and railroad clients that we were, when we were running into two shortages. One was industrial real estate and the other was going to be labor. And, you know, that's why I got more focused on the kind of projects and things that I work on and, and working with you, Mark. Right. We are, we are, but, but it's, so there was this long-term trend in place. Clearly, the change in consumer behavior during the coronavirus pandemic has accelerated that. You know, and we, and we probably should do a video on what the coronavirus has accelerated and changed permanently, as opposed to all the other stuff that it didn't, but people talk about it. I think incorrectly, but that's another another take for us. Yeah, that may be three or four podcasts, exactly. right? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to shut the door to that that discussion and and just kind of focus here. So what's really changed a lot is retail. It's all about e-commerce, and what's happened is bricks and mortar stores companies generally. Well, I don't know about everybody else's experience, but my experience with not Amazon e-commerce companies has has been okay to terrible. And some of these companies had to file chapter 11. They reorganized them. When they come out, they have more of an omni-channel strategy, an omni-channel focus, meaning getting to the consumer through any channel available. And that means a lot more focus on e-commerce. And, you know, e-commerce as a percentage of retail sales has shot up a lot and it's staying up a lot. So a dollar of e-commerce sales requires more industrial square footage than a dollar of bricks and mortar retail sales. Right. 
And this is a big driver of e-commerce because although Amazon has, has acquired the most industrial real estate in the last four or five quarters, that doesn't account for all of the surge in, in industrial demand. And I know everybody is. And I know we've talked about this before. When these habits shift and people lock into a new technology or a new habit, i.e. your famous ice cream story in London. Yes. <laughs> you know, once you guys started grocery shopping online and having it delivered, yeah. it's a paradigm shift. You don't go back. That's right. You don't go back. Now, some things you might. I get people buying groceries online in, in big cities like in London. But my experience uh, in Savannah was, let's just say, terrible. Frozen pizzas thrown and delivered to my doorstep by a driver who didn't bother to knock. And I later on, I opened the door, it's July, and I got a frozen... It's half cooked. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I tell you, I had, a, I had I, seriously, I think one in every three shopping experiences, I had to call you know the company providing the service to, to get something rectified. And that goes both ways. So these, these companies, though, like, are learning a new trade, right? They're mm -hmm. learning a new way to do business. Right. So there's a a learning curve there. Right. Exactly. And then there's a habit curve. And, and like, as you suggest, maybe it slides back down. But if they can depend on the, the, the quality and a consistent delivery system, mm -hmm. it's just a lot easier. Right. But the problem is, is they had to overnight. You see, when you start a business and you're one, say, a donut shop, you do the frying and you do the dough making and everything in the same store. You get to two, yeah, you maybe do it the same way. You get to five to 10, by the time you get to 10, and really you should just stop and make all the dough in one place and distribute it from there. And what happened to the e-commerce grocery business is it went from one donut shop to 20, and they still had all the donut shops making their own you know, batter, and they needed to centralize, but you just couldn't convert your process that fast. So in terms of getting back to the article, in terms of your your thoughts, projections over the next two to 10 years. I know everybody's trying to figure out, you know, what's next, how, you know, how do we plan investment strategies, et cetera. What is your, I, I don't know, maybe five, two year forecast, five year, 10 year forecast in terms of what that inventory looks like and what the demand side will look like? Well, I think that the ports will continue to grow robustly. But I think when you look at, you know, Southern California, you look around Oakland, I mean, there are, there's practically no land left. Right. I mean, in Oakland, I would say there is no land left. And I've been working with colleagues out there to, to try to make some land, but it's very hard. That's it's, why those lease rates have shot up this year. Exactly. 30% in one year. So you end up going to other, other you know, inbound locations in the country. And Savannah right. has benefited from that hugely. It's a, sure, 20% growth in the port last year. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Yeah. So it's it's just stunning that they could absorb that. But problem is, is that we also have a lot of short-term issues going on. Right. So the other day on the Supply Chain Leadership Association, we have our weekly executive committee call, and somebody had mentioned, and I think that's where I heard this, I'm not sure, that one company was out there with a need for 10,000 trailers to lease because their distribution centers and warehouses were completely full. And they were getting more merchandise to come in for Christmas and had no place to put it. And literally on trailers. Yeah, literally on trailers. And I couldn't remember the port city it was, but that was, I thought, wow, this is a, 
it's something else. And it wasn't necessarily on my notes, but just the thought that over the next five to 10 years, there are going to be winners and losers, mm-hmm. right, in the port business and in these seaport towns where, I mean, I again, maybe we're biased, but it doesn't mean we're wrong that with the Savannah Port, we've got exceptional leadership. Yeah. And we've got guys that have a vision line of 20 to 30 years. And so, and obviously with our past results, the last couple of years, we've seen it. I guess one thing, and this is a question, but keep your eye on the leadership at each of these port cities, right? The ports yeah. themselves, because that's going to be the difference, it seems to me, in a lot of these cases. Yeah, and, and the ability of the gateway leaders to work together. Got it. You know, that's, yeah. that's so critical. I mean, if you've got members of the community, you know, fighting the port, it's not, it's not good for anybody, including not being good for the environment. So, as you told me many times, there are multiple parts to the gateway. Exactly. Right. Right. You've got your port, the waterways, the railways, the uh, roadways. You've got the industrial real estate. And these days, labor is part of the gateway. Yeah, the human infrastructure. Exactly. Big deal. A lot going on. Hey, Walter. Great being with you. Hey, good talking. All right, man. See you soon. Take care. Thanks. Thanks.